Well, good morning. We want to welcome you to a new series that we're calling Conversations. You know, there's a lot of conversations that we have every day throughout all of our weeks, um, and that's important. I mean, you need to talk about whether the Chiefs are going to win today or not, right? Uh, okay, I got some. You, you, you need to talk about the weather. I, I, this is my favorite snow of all time. It's beautiful white everywhere but the roads. Don't you love that? Man, this makes me love winter. Um, we have to have those conversations. But you know what? There's a lot of subjects we could intentionally be talking about that would have big consequences in the lives of our families, our friends, and the people that we know. So today we begin a series called Conversations, and we're going to be walking through certain topics that if we could understand and absorb and internalize, then maybe we could have conversations with people and we could see their lives affected and changed in a positive way. Today the message is entitled, um, Your Words Have Power. You know, our words, we, we're constantly talking. Some of you more so than others. Studies say that we speak about 16,000 words a day. I know that you're thinking, yeah, but the people in my house, they're way over 16. Yeah. And some of you are way under 16, and people would just want you to speak up and say something, right? Words are so common that often we just don't pay attention to them. We don't consider how consequential words are in our lives. Proverbs 18.21 has this to say about the power of words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can't get more dramatic than that. Today you will speak words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, sometimes the most common things we take for granted and we don't think about very carefully and they affect our lives more than we realize. Did you know one of the greatest causes of infant mortality in the world throughout history has been the lack of clean water for children? Children drinking water that's polluted or full of amoebas and all kinds of things that can make kids sick. And there are so many kids that have died of dysentery at very young ages because what is vital for life and very common water, it was polluted and it killed them. When I hear the idea that life and death are in the power of our words, I kind of feel like it's in that category. Words are everywhere, but are we paying attention when I grew up in the Philippines, uh, the, one of the first things I learned as a six-year-old, my mom would always say, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Why? Because you know what? You, you only have to have amoebic dysentery one time and feel the terrible stomach ache and all the other ugly symptoms I'm not going to mention before you realize, oh, 
I better pay attention to where this water I'm about to drink came from. In our house, my mom boiled water every single day. She boiled it so that the impurities would be gone and we could be sure that what we drank at home was gonna be okay. And when we went out, my parents told me, don't drink the water that they pour and put on the table. You can drink soda. I love this plan. You can drink soda because if they pop the top of that soda, you know it has been properly cleaned and it it won't make you sick. It'll make you fat, but it won't make you sick. (laughs) Sometimes it's the common things in our lives that we're not paying attention to that cause the biggest problem. Many of you have heard of the great Chicago fire that occurred in October of 1871. I mean, it devastated the city of Chicago, but surprisingly, the flames actually started on the other side of the Chicago River, and and there's this thing called fire jumping. Now, it can be explained by the high winds that spread to wooden ships that were on the river, but there was another important factor that led to the, the spread of the fire that devastated Chicago. In those days, the Chicago River was a shallow, sluggish sewer for the entire city. The Union stockyards in Chicago dumped all of their animal waste into the river. People called it the Stinking River or the Bubbling bubbling Creek. It was so bad that the waste was actually combustible. That's not good when you have a citywide fire. All of this putrefaction flowed into Lake Michigan, which is the largest freshwater body of water in in the United States. And and because the the, the lake, the, the river was so full of junk as it flowed into Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan was also the source of their drinking water, and so the intake came into the city, and waterborne diseases broke out. Every year through the 1880s and 1890s, at least 10,000 people died from cholera or typhoid fever because they were drinking bad water. In 1885, 14 years after the Great Chicago Fire, nearly 100,000 people died from illness carried by the river's putrid water, something as common as water. Finally, the city engineers decided to take action. They, they launched this incredibly ambitious plan. They began digging 28 miles of canal. They moved more rock and earth than they moved during the building of the Panama Canal. They set in the locks and the gates, and then on January 2, 1900, a worker opened a gate at Lake Michigan, and the entire Great Lakes flowed into the Chicago River, pushing it in a direction it had never flowed. They reversed the flow of the Chicago River, and now it flowed in the opposite direction, through the canal to the Des Plaines River and the Illinois River and into the Mississippi. It was a game changer. All of a sudden, this huge flow of fresh water took away the shallow, sluggish, diseased water that was making the community sick. And this new river of fresh water brought life to the city. Some writers argued that Chicago would not even be around today had the flow of the Chicago River not been reversed. The American Society of Civil Engineers named it one of the engineering projects of the millennium. 
something as simple as fresh water. You know, here's the deal. If there's one thing that could change you, your life, your relationships, it would be paying attention to the words you speak. The words you speak to the people around you. The words you speak to yourself. Did you know that you all talk to yourselves all the time? Did you know that? I'm not following you around, but that's what studies say. It's internal self-talk. It's meditation. Did you know that what you speak to people and what you speak to yourself, if it is not good words, you will develop a murky, spoiled sewer water system in your life. And did you know that today, if you decided to take to heart the fact that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and your tongue and what you say could absolutely change where you live, where you swim, your life would be revolutionized. So we're going to take a look at James, James chapter 3. Because James has a lot to say about words, the tongue, and the power of the tongue. So let's go there and read it. Beginning in verse 1, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. That's a scary verse for a preacher. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. What is the most powerful part of your body? It's not your biceps or your abs. It's your tongue. There is, it is more consequential than any other part of your body. If you can bridle your tongue, you will be a perfect man. You will be able to bridle the whole body. Verse three, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And, and the, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defies the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. I mean, James, I tell you what, James is intense. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. How important are the words that you and I speak. They are so important. So I want to pull out three observations from this passage. Number one, our words direct our lives. Our words will direct our lives. The illustration is that you put a bit in the mouth of a horse and you will direct the horse. When I was 10 years old, <clears throat> I went to live with my grandparents, as you know, in Iowa. I'm 10 years old. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little guy. I was rotund, but I was little. 
And my granddad had, he had like pony horses. They weren't like short ponies. They, they weren't like huge horses. They were certainly taller than a 10-year-old. And my granddad took us down to the barn and he said, all right, now I've got, I've got two saddles here and you guys can ride these horses anytime you want, but you gotta learn how to saddle them up and you have to learn how to put their, their halters on and the bridle on. So he, he, he showed us how to put the saddle on, how to strap that uh, saddle on tight. I mean, the horse would jump if you got it the right tightness. If you didn't, you would find out because the saddle would throw you off, okay? And he says, now what you've got to do is you've got to take the bit in your hand and get over here and open that horse's mouth and jam that bridle into the mouth of the horse and then put the straps over its ears and then put the reins up so that you can control the horse. So if you're on the saddle holding the reins, the horse will do whatever you say. You go this way, he'll go that way. You go this way, he'll go that way. You pull it back and he will stop. You, a little 10-year-old, are going to be able to control this animal that is way bigger than you and way stronger than you, so let's give it a go. And it was true. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? How, boy, look at all the equestrians in the room, yeah. How many of you put, have ever put the bridle on the horse? Fewer. You know what he's saying there is that just like the bridle the bit in the mouth of a horse will direct the horse like the rudder on a large ship in fierce winds will direct the ship. Our lives are absolutely directed by the words that we say. Your words shape your life. Your words determine the outcomes of your life. You are defined by the words that you speak. You declare who you are with every word that comes out of your mouth. You know, if you've ever tried to get a job, usually the job is determined because you're asked to go to an interview. And in the interview, they ask you questions. And those questions allow you to speak words. And those words paint a picture of who you are. You get to describe what you can do. Furthermore, those words also let, reveal your attitude, your demeanor, your disposition, your personality. And, and the, the one interviewing you is trying to figure out if you have the skills to do this job. Uh, they, they're gauging whether you can respect authority or whether you're disrespectful as a disposition. They, they are they're constantly evaluating your words. They're also even trying to decide how hard of a person will you be to get along with. And that is can be determined by the conversation. How winsome are you? How, how, how easy is it to be with you? And if they like what they hear, you get the job. You come back in after you got the job, after a few weeks, and you let off a string of inappropriate words, bam, you could be out. Your words direct your future. You know, there's a verse I would always quote to my children. Proverbs, by the way, is full of instruction with regard to the words that we speak. It's a, it's a powerful book. It's some, you know, it packs good punches in short little phrases about uh, the, the tongue and the lips. Proverbs 17, 28 is one I would quote to my kids. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, 
He is considered perceptive. I would tell my kids, you know, so here's the option. Silence is always a better choice than wrong words. Communication is powerful. Tomorrow we will remember and honor Dr. Martin Luther King. And for that reason, our church offices will be closed. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came to the forefront in our country because he was the victim of the awful system of racism that demean people because of the color of their skin, that declared that some people are of more value than others depending on their ethnicity. And Dr. Martin Luther King stood up and out of his pain, he was a voice from his community and his words directed our nation and changed the conversation Now, we haven't gotten it all correct yet, but Dr. Martin Luther King began the conversation that redirected us away from the vile, wicked, sinful uh, system of racism. This is what he said. I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at a table of brotherhood. Man, I just love the spirit of reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy of Dr. King. I have a dream that one day, when even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. And with those words, he directed a nation. You know, our words direct our future. A well-placed compliment can start a friendship. Properly spoken words can deepen a relationship. Our words have the power to direct our future. Number two, words can destroy. A little word, little words can destroy. See how great a a forest, a, a, a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. You know, sometimes when we have a nuclear weapon right here on our face, it's our tongue and the words that we speak. And we don't pay attention to the power we have. And when we speak and we're not careful with our words, we destroy. You know, everyone knows about the Chicago fire, but there is probably one of the worst fires in the history of the world that also occurred on October 8, 1871, the same day as the Chicago fire. It it is called the Pestigo Fire. Um, it killed between 1,200 and 2,000 lives. The story of the Pestigo fire is, is gleaned from survivors and 
and, and conjecture, and it is thought that the railroad workers were clearing land for the tracks that Sunday evening, and they started a brush fire, which somehow became an inferno. It had been an unusually dry summer, and the fire moved fast. Some survivors said it moved so fast it was like a tornado. The sudden convulsive speed of the flames consumed available oxygen. Some trying to flee burst into flames themselves. It scorched between 1.2 and 1.5 million acres, although it skipped over the waters of Green Bay to burn parts of Door and Kewanee counties. The damage estimated was about $169 million, the same as the Chicago fire. The fire also burned 16 other towns after it wiped out Peshtigo in an hour, killing 800 of its residents. When most researchers find, what most researchers find so fascinating is the effect it had on people's lives. It was so horrific. There's a story of a man carrying a woman to safety he thought was his wife. And when he got her to safety, he looked down and it wasn't his wife. And thinking that his wife perished in the fire he had just escaped, he went crazy. Why do I tell you that? Because our words can light fires that do incredible damage. Words can destroy. I remember having a friend when I was younger who said that his dad told him that he was stupid. I remember the heaviness of that word spoken. Thank God he didn't let his dad's word be the last word. This friend of mine went on to get an education, got a PhD, and now is a dean at a state university in this country. But the words of his dad deeply wounded him. I talked to a girl one time and she said that her father told her one day that she was just ugly. And she wasn't ugly. And it didn't matter how many men she got to tell her that she was beautiful. Like it never actually filled the hole created by the painful words of her dad. The fires of spoken words may not always burn down cities, but there are many families that have been torched because of words spoken within the family. To think what Proverbs says, that the story can go one of two ways. Our words have the power of life, and the words that we speak have the power of death. And some of you know what it's like to have your family burned down with words carelessly spoken. You know that rhyme? Help me, help me complete this rhyme, okay? I bet you can help me. Sticks and stones can... Yeah, there you go. But words can... Why do you know that among all of the rhymes that you may have learned as a child? Why is that one that is probably one of the best known rhymes even into our adult years? Do you know why? Because it says exactly opposite of what is true. And we keep trying to convince ourselves that sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt us. When exactly the opposite is what is true. Words have great potential to destroy us. 
James doesn't pull any punches when he says the tongue is so set among our members that it defies the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. James says there is something demonic about the fires that can be created by words spoken to hurt. That's what the devil wants us to do. I mean, he wants us to burn the place down. Seriously. It takes the power of Almighty God and the work of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to be able to tame our tongue. Satan wants us to use our tongues to light fires, to burn people up, families up, churches, organizations, and lives down. Yes, it's hard to tame the tongue. In verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, the thing about preaching a message like this is, I got to hear it first. And I have been sorting through the words that I speak. Even the words I speak to myself. What if we were to try an experiment that for the next seven days, just a week, we were conscious about something we don't always pay attention to, we would be conscious about the words that we speak. So here are six suggestions I got from somebody. Number one, over the next seven days, you ready? You ready? You're not going to be able to copy these down. If you really have an interest, ask me and I'll, I'll let you write it down. Six things, though. An effort to tame the tongue. Number one, don't complain or grumble. And a lot of you are saying, well, I'm out. Don't complain or grumble. You know what? I don't love it when it snows on Saturday. I'm a preacher and I'm hoping people will get to church. You get what I'm saying? But if there was a snow I ever loved, it was this one. It's pretty white everywhere, but the roads are clear. How did that happen? That's kind of a miracle. I'm not sure. I've been doing too much grumbling about the winter and the cold weather. You know what? I'm convicted. Do you ever grumble about things at your house? Do you ever grumble about the people around you? Do you ever see people at church and think, oh, that person makes me mad. That per Man, they just annoy me. They don't even know me, but they annoy me. Y'all act like you're so perfect. Am I the only sinner in the room? First thing is, how about for the next seven days? Don't complain or grumble. Number two. Don't boast about anything. Number three, don't gossip or repeat bad information about anyone. Number four, don't use words to put people down. Number five, don't defend or excuse yourself. Number six, do always affirm people. You know, many of our relationships are built off of negative comments that we make. So much of the time we find camaraderie in complaining together. 
We build relationships often in groups by picking out the one person in the group that's easy to pick on. And we, we power up and load up and pick on them and we all laugh and we leave them in a puddle. And we think we're friends. You're not friends. What if we were to be careful about what we say? Proverbs 10, 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. I think for the first seven days, we just need to be putting the brakes on a lot of the words that we're saying to people and a lot of the things that we think to ourselves. Number three, words can spoil our souls. The words that you speak don't only affect the people around you, they affect you. Did you know that every time you, you think negative things about people, and we, we don't like to use the word, I, I'm not cursing them, but you are cursing them. When, when either you're blessing them or you're cursing them. Look at James 3.9. With it, talking about the tongue, we bless our God and Father, and, and with it we curse men who are made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Every person you and I meet were created by God in the image of God. He deeply loves them. Now they bug you. But God loves them. So are you going to curse them in your spirit, with your words, in your meditation? Or are you going to bless them? See, when you curse people in your spirit, when you complain about them, when you dismiss them, when you demean them in your spirit, it's like pouring sewer water into the pool you're swimming in. You will never look into the eyes of someone who God did not create. A God, and God loves them more than you know when you hurt them, when you put them down, when you trash them, when you dismiss them of, as having no value, you actually offend God and spoil your own soul. There are people in your life, life who will annoy you. There are people who will make you mad. There will be people in your life who you just don't like. Um, People who have deeply wounded you from time. Uh, and, and when you meditate on them, the honest truth is you can wake up and you can think about someone whom you haven't been around in a year who deeply wounded you and you will decide whether your spirit will bless them or curse them every single time. And that will decide for you what you're gonna do with your soul. Will you pollute it? You know what you could do? You could treat them like an enemy. I love Matthew 5, 43 to 45. One of my favorite passages, most of the transformative passages of my life. What you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard, right? 
But I say to you, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And God says, I love everybody in this world, even the evil, even the unjust. I'm going to feed them again today. I will bless them again today because I created them. So what do you do with your enemy? You should love them. You should bless them. You should pray for them. You should do good to them. Verse 11, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear fruit figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Whatever is in your heart, either blesses you and the people around you, or it curses the people around you and hurts you. It's the power of life and death. You need, as I do, to ask God to transform you from the core of your being and make you a person who blesses, not curses. I have in my office a photograph that's very, very old. And it's a picture that last week when my daughter was in town, she actually came into my office and she says, so dad, what, who is that? I said, well, that is my, my namesake grandfather, Edward. She says, you're kidding me. Why do you have his picture in your office? Okay, let me just explain this to you. Because the narrative in the family is when my mom was 10 years old, my grandfather Edward abandoned her and her mother. And when her mother was taken to the hospital and she went looking for him at all of the motels in Dearborn, Michigan, she finally found his car, went into the desk, wrote down the license plate and told the clerk, this is my dad. He owns this car. Uh, would, my mother's in the hospital. I need his help I'm I'm all alone would you ask him to come down and help me and the word was this was the narrative told in my family that my grandfather said to the clerk tell her I will not come down I'm not gonna help her she needs to get on a bus and go across town to her aunt's house okay so that's that's pre pretty much the limited narrative of my grandfather Edward however my mother because she believed that the Bible said to honor your father and, and mother she made a trek always to go visit her grandfather grandfather, I mean her father, my grandfather, every time we were in the Dearborn area. And I actually stayed with my grandfather Edward the night before I got married to Cindy because we got married in that, in that town. And, and so my daughter knows the narrative, but the primary narrative told was a grandfather that really wasn't all that great to my mom. She says, Dad, why do you even have that picture out? And I said, well, okay, um, this is how I can deal with the fact that I'm not the judge of my grandfather. I know some things didn't go right, but I don't know the whole story. 
I don't understand everything that led up to the moment where he said that. It seemed unthinkable that you'd abandon your child like that, but I don't know the story. Also, it reminds me that everybody in my life is an imperfect gift. Just like I am an imperfect gift to everybody in my life. And so I don't want to curse him or his memory. I will bless him and remember my grandfather, though disappointing, the story is, was created by God for God in the image of God. And it helps me to do that because now I look at that picture and it doesn't poison the water for me anymore. I feel the fresh flow of God's water of clear health Maybe there are people in your life that you need to bless, that you feel like cursing, that you can't do it without the power and the presence of Almighty God. You should try. Maybe there are people in this church that when you see them, you're like, uh, you, you know, believe me, I've been a pastor a while. I know that happens. Maybe the next time you see them, you would bless them in your spirit. Maybe you'd remind yourself, I don't know their whole story. I don't know what made them the way they are. But they were created in the image of God. So I will be on the side of God to bless them today. Our words have power. Lastly, it is our words spoken to God that connect us to God. One of the most amazing parts of the story of Jesus is that when he is crucified and lifted up on a cross, his body has been shredded by the whips of the soldiers. He is in agony. He is being humiliated. He is experiencing death of the worst sort, and he hangs there. And in his agony, one of the things he says, as he looks around at the crowd, and that, in that crowd are the soldiers that mutilated his body, that nailed the, the nails in his hands. In that crowd are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders who, with great anger and enmity, moved to put him on a cross in a great miscarriage of justice. In that crowd are also his best friends who betrayed him and abandoned him. And as he hung there, this is what God said. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is his heart for you. Father, forgive them. You know, the most important words you will ever speak are the words in prayer that receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10, and verse 13. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus, that the, about the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God has given you an eye breath, and he's waiting for us to utter the most important words any human being could ever speak to an almighty God, and that is this. God, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are the Son of God who paid for our sin on the cross. Save me. And with those words, you and I can be eternally connected to a God who loves us more than we could ever fully understand. 